We are recording in progress. Recording with Dr. Ted Postal for your second time on here on Sunday, yes. February 19th, 2023 oh, okay. at 3 whatever p.m. Eastern time. Not important. You've been on here before uh, about a year ago and um, I just had Ray McGovern on the other day and he mentioned you several times and it just kind of sparked a memory. I was like, I need to reach out again. But Dr. Postal, please introduce yourself for uh, for everybody. Well, my uh, my name is uh, Ted Postal. Uh, I have the glorified title of uh, Professor Emeritus of Science, Technology, and National Security Policy at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I'm uh, uh, following uh, I'm, my area of expertise or interest is really... Um, technology uh, issues that have uh, some kind of direct uh, relationship to international security problems. So it's a mix. Uh, the added value that I would claim or hope I have is basically putting a, uh, a technical data point or uh, or marker uh, on any on a debate that has something to do with um, uh, political issues and uh, or policy issues and so that would uh, so I'm really uh, I'm not a true uh, expert in political uh, issues but I have to know quite a bit about them in order to be able to understand what um, technical issues are relevant you know a lot of time there is no technical dimension that that is significant it's mostly social so um uh, I've had uh, quite a bit of experience outside of academia. I, I was uh, a science, uh, scientific um, and policy advisor to the chief of naval operations, and uh, 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 that gave me uh, a lot of uh, opportunity to uh, be in the belly of the beast and also to understand the belly of the beast. And um, since that time, I've... Uh, been at places like Stanford and then, of course, a faculty position at MIT. Um, <clears throat> can we lie on the, I guess, the safety and reassurance that things have never gone nuclear? Can we continue to rely on that? Or are we maybe entering uncharted territories where if we back Russia into a wall or if we keep escalating in Ukraine is it going to jump up a notch is the is the unthinkable going to happen I think for so long we've just assumed it never could because we got through the Cold War but more and more so it kind of seems like that certainty is not there well I uh I think things have changed uh uh, quite a bit. I do think the uh, the uh, danger of uh, an inadvertent escalation is uh, is much larger. I can't quantify it. I mean, uh, it's just uh, a sense from uh, what I see in the um, actions and reactions of political leadership on both sides, and uh, and also the circumstances, which are current circumstances are really quite different. From that of the Cold War. The Cold War was kind of uh, had moments of high tension, which of course uh, could have resulted in uh, uh, an inadvertent escalation. Uh, the obvious uh, 
points are, for example, the uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, and um, and uh, in the 1980s there was um, uh, a belief that was growing among the um, political leadership of Russia that uh, that uh, NATO was planning to attack Russia with nuclear weapons, and uh, so we had these. Um, I'm sorry, Abel Archer, 1983. Yeah, Abel Archer, right, uh, and and. Uh, and so we, um, you know, we certainly had points in the uh, in, in that uh, time interval where uh, things uh, were more dangerous uh, than at other times. But uh, still, there was basically a, an underlying uh, sense that uh, uh, nobody was going to do anything really stupid or dangerous, and um, uh, and and that helped us. Uh, my own view having said this many times to people in discussions is that if i had to guess that we would get through the cold war without a nuclear war um based on no knowledge of it but just someone sort of describing me the circumstances describing the circumstances to me i would have given us a very low chance of getting through it and um i think uh, the reason well fortunately i was wrong but we don't it could have been wrong by 1% or 100%. We don't yeah. know. Uh, but uh, I think a big factor uh, that uh, has eroded, unfortunately, is uh, uh, the, the, the the sense of fear that political decision makers have about uh, uncontrolled escalation. Not only the effects of nuclear weapons, but also the the possibility of uncontrolled escalation and uh we see that in um uh in multiple ways uh, the um, the fact that putin would um suggest that things could go nuclear uh the fact that biden uh although he has shown some concern about the possibility of escalation i give i don't think he is in any way uh, completely uh, ignoring it uh he has allowed his um uh, not very well informed uh uh um uh technical well not the, the policy advisors uh, to uh, to push him into doing things that i think are my own judgment are quite unwise we have a political situation in nato uh that uh is I think very dangerous. Uh, the um, uh, nobody that I'm aware of, you you can please correct me, uh, has shown any concern about the Polish government. Uh, we have a government in Poland that uh, is already at odds with the European Union over its manipulation of the court system there. Uh, there has been even have even been discussions about cutting uh, European Union aid to Poland and in response to their uh, attempts to uh, ignore agreements that they may that they took part in in order to become uh, a NATO uh, uh, <coughs> member and uh, and I just because of an accident of my um, my research uh, I have become reasonably uh, familiar uh, with the players in Poland, and um, and my view is they are very dangerous, and um, they are um, uh, 
tremendously activist in their anti-Russian um, views. Uh, they have um, they made a statement only a few weeks ago before the decision to send uh, tanks uh, to to Ukraine that. Uh, uh, they were going to send the uh, German uh, leopard German leopard tanks that they had uh, to Ukraine, even if NATO uh, decided uh, not to send those tanks. They were going to just sort of say, "We're we're going to do it." And um, so um, uh, they're kind of uh, a uh, a wild card. Uh, they have um, I can personally in fact. Part of the reason I know a little bit about this is because uh, I have personally been involved in um, studies of of an air accident in uh, in 2010 uh, uh, that killed uh, a large number of uh, uh, the Polish leadership, along with the uh, then uh, Prime Minister uh, uh, Lech uh, Kaczynski, and. Um, uh, and and the amazing, um, just extraordinary attempts by the current government to fabricate a, a claim that the Russians were responsible for this when any analysis, as in fact I've, I've done analysis on this, shows that the, um, the, the, the reason for the accident was uh, Lech Kaczynski ordered uh, the pilot, uh, which who, the pilot and the crew, to land without instruments in a dense fog. And, uh, you know, the, the chances of them successfully landing was really just about zero. And uh, he had so intimidated his crew that uh, they did something that they never would ever have tried under normal conditions. And, um, and you know, it's, it's clear as day. We have all the data. And... Um, Yet uh, they're trying to turn this into some kind of um, of uh, you know conspiracy on the part of the Russians to uh, uh, kill the uh, political leadership of uh, Poland at the time, and and that wouldn't be so important if we didn't have a crisis like this, because that event tells you how determined this government is uh, to go after the Russians. Uh, whether or not it's appropriate, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, th th there's a lot of blame to go around here, but there's no blame at all on the Russians for this particular horrifying and unfortunate accident. So um, uh, this, so this uh, law and justice party is, uh, uh, is, is potentially quite dangerous. And they, announced only a little while ago last week i think it was uh, might not be quite right but in the last week or two that they wanted to send uh, combat uh, aircraft uh, to ukraine and uh, that they would do it uh, if they decided to do it they would not let nato stop them well you know this is this is asking for escalation and um so i see um uh uh, Poland as a potential trigger point for some form of uh, uncontrolled escalation, and um, and it's clear that NATO has little control over these characters. Uh, 
I mean, the uh, European Union hasn't been able to get them to uh, agree to follow their the agreements that they signed in order to get all this aid that Poland gets from the European Union, and now they're doing this with NATO, and so this this big um, uh, uh, movement that uh, NATO expansion was supposed to bring. I mean, I think it's it's sad. It could be funny if it weren't so dangerous that we were going to bring uh, democracy to all these Eastern European countries. And you have this expansion uh, 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 to uh, NATO, to Poland, and the Czech Republic and Hungary in 1999. And certainly uh, Hungary and uh, Poland are not flourishing democracies. And yet the argument for... um, for Ukraine is oh democracy is on the line. Well, start your worrying uh, with some of your own uh, uh, countries that are part of NATO. So, so I think the um, the chances of escalation uh, are increasing all the time. So now, if Poland did an action, <clears throat> regardless of NATO's approval, would any resulting reaction from Russia trigger I guess traditional NATO responses like if uh like if my little brother went up and like punched like a six foot five linebacker I don't know (laughs) if I would get involved I might look at him and be like you're gonna learn a lesson like I said not to do that and you're drunk and you know like so if Poland steps out there are we do we just go hey that we didn't approve of that whatever happens happens you sacrifice Poland so you don't have World War Three. Is that possible? Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> I think there will be more adult leadership uh, involved if something happens. I think the uh, uh, the French and the German uh, the French and the Germans have shown uh, a good deal of uh, common sense in this whole thing. They, um, uh, of course, uh, Merkel gets blamed for all this. Um, uh, these problems with Russia that she somehow failed to uh, uh, be hardline with Russia, for example, over the Nord Stream uh, pipeline, this uh, this uh, pipeline that was delivering uh, gas to uh, Germany and um, a commercial arrangement between Russia and, and, and Germany. And... Um, uh, seems to me what she was trying to do was to uh, uh, pull Russia into a more normalized uh, uh, economic arrangement with Western Europe and thereby hopefully uh, um, with that comes some kind of uh, normalization or softening of the confrontation between uh, Russia and and Western Europe and my own view is it failed because of the uh, Americans uh, in the American aggression uh, in NATO. Because uh, uh, first of all, we we did uh, destroy the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. Uh, the, I um, uh, I happened by accident. I, I, uh, Seymour Hersh and I know each other a long time, and okay. I've I've helped him with. Um, you know he's a brilliant journalist, uh, uh, but he occasionally needs uh, technical knowledge that he doesn't have, and I have played that role from time to time. And he asked me about this uh, 
you know, he asked me some questions because he was researching the paper. <clears throat> and um, I, um, I'm absolutely certain that he knows what he's, that he, this is journalistically correct. And uh, part of the reason for it is um, uh, he had a lot of questions that were very uh, vague. He had a, a very vague description of what happened when we first started talking. And I asked him a bunch of uh, specific technical questions for him to go back to his sources and, and ask, uh, ask for answers. And uh, we, we went through several iterations of this process. And each time he came back with specific technical information that only somebody who knew what they were talking about could have provided. You know, this is, you know, it's like when you're an expert and so, you know, if you, if you know, I, I mean, I know nothing about sports. I kind of, I have some interest, but I'm really very low level of interest. And I'd start telling you about how so-and-so's team is, but you know, you'd know immediately, you'd quickly pick up yeah. on whether or not I had a true uh, expert understanding. And this is the kind of process that can go on in a technical discussion. And it's clear that the people he was taught, whatever his sources were, uh, were giving him uh, quite accurate information. And I filled in some dots somewhere, and then uh, he checked it with his sources. And, and through that, we got a much clearer explanation of what happened uh, for his article. So his audience benefited from that. But uh, this couldn't have happened if he wasn't talking to, if his sources weren't expert. So uh, no, no way. So I'm very confident that uh, whoever he was uh, uh, using as a source or sources um, knew what they were doing. They had a detailed knowledge. So this Nord Stream thing happened. And uh, I have a joke with a friend of mine, uh, <laughs> which might be uh, of interest, uh, who's a very high level, uh, he's retired now, but he's was a very, very high level Democrat. And he and I are old friends. And, uh, and uh, he, he, uh, uh, he says, "Well, you know, I, I, uh, he has great respect for size uh, journalistic capabilities, but he says, he says he just can't believe that size story is correct because it's so stupid. You know what they did was so stupid, and the joke between us is, I think they are that stupid, and he doesn't. You know, because, <laughs> and uh, although I, I think in my case uh, I, I have this direct experience uh, with it, so." And it is an extraordinarily reckless thing to do, and and in fact, uh, it, it, it's ambiguous. And this ambiguously did as much damage to the German economy as it did to the Russian economy, because the Russian loss of um, revenue from the um, loss of the Nord Stream uh, pipeline appears to be being uh, made up at a very high level, if not uh, surpassing it, uh, in sales to uh, China and uh, and to uh, states in this in the southern hemisphere, which are not not following the dictates of the United States government saying that you you need to do this. you know you need to not buy Russian goods. So um, there's an element of uh, unreality in the um, uh, in the behavior of the uh, 
people around Biden who work on national security issues. Uh, there's uh, this, uh, you know, my, this weather balloon incident is another example. Uh, it, it's it's possible. It, it, it's possible that there might have been some kind of equipment or use of weather equipment on that balloon by um, Chinese military sources. It's possible. I, I think it's, well, I, it, it's, but if you ask the question as a person who knows something about intelligence, and I think I can claim I do, what would they get out of, of this that they don't already have by any, numerous other means? So if you... Um, you know, uh, if I go to China and I have gone, uh, people come and visit me from the U.S. government and they ask me what I saw. And um, I have a rule, the people who, who have visited me, typically the same people, and and I, I have a rule that they know about. I do not speak about anybody who I've met with. I don't trust the intelligence community to use the information responsibly, and I don't think it's appropriate because these people I visit are friends and colleagues. But I do say to them, well, you know, the, I'm, you know, it looks like the, the feeling in China is such and such, and you know, and that's, you know, that's potentially useful information to them, and I try to be helpful. But um, the, uh, the, the uh, appetite these organizations have for information is insatiable and uh, they have no reason rhyme or reason i guess their reason would be well we get enough information we put together you know we piece it together and we get uh, uh, good insights well i saw a lot of the insights that these people had when i was inside the government and i never trusted them to be even close to accurate so uh so I don't believe the argument, although it could be true if if the people involved were less biased or better informed. Because, uh, you know, if you sit inside uh, a, a black room uh, looking at China, you know, through a television or reading, you don't, you don't know nearly as much as having been there. And these people can't go there, mm. you know, at least the, most of the analysts. So, so. Um, uh, you these organizations, whether they're American or Russian, and I have dealt with the Russians on these matters. They have approached me, <laughs> not very successfully, but they have. Um, the um, uh, you know these organizations they have their own rules and uh, and morality, and the morality is not very high in any of them. I mean, they're all rather similar in that respect. And um, uh, so uh, nothing surprises me in that respect, that they would try to get information by doing something like this. But the question is, what could they possibly get? That, they, In other words, given that it's a stupid thing to do and it doesn't produce much, uh, it's possible that these organizations could try to, you know, one or another organization could try to do something. But that's still is is nothing useful you know so maybe some uh idiot in the chinese intelligence community put a box to collect certain photographs 
which incidentally they would a weather balloon would take under normal circumstances and uh, and and they try to use that but the photographs of course are no better than what satellite images can provide them and in fact many situations they're worse you know they're not getting communications like some people are saying you don't know where the balloon's going to be you know you want a regular line into communications if you want to take advantage of it for intelligence purposes and any communications that you use that are uh, uh, that are of concern to you are encrypted. Uh, I mean, if you can go and use WhatsApp and have an encrypted communications these days, thanks to thanks to the insatiable um, uh, desire of the American intelligence community to violate the Fourth Amendment rights of American citizens which was revealed in, uh, to a great extent by uh, by uh, Snowden, you know, and, and Edward Snowden. And 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 if you look at the reaction to, to Snowden, that he's some kind of terrible traitor, he's not a, he's a, he stood up for the Constitution of the United States. You can argue that there were crimes, you know, it, you know that there was information released that shouldn't have been released, and you know there's a there's an accurate argument for that. But there were also were things people did who ran the Underground Railroad mm -hmm. that uh, were against the law at the time, and uh, so a little bit of perspective on the part of American leadership when they were caught lying. Mr. Obama himself was caught lying to the American people. That maybe they ought to um, think about the uh, fairness of blaming uh, Mr. Snowden for something he did on behalf of the American people and the Constitution when they did not meet their responsibilities themselves. It's more, you know, embarrassment to them. I, I know this gets us off the subject, but no, who, no keep going. Who cares? Yeah, you know, but it's it's um, uh, it the 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 potential for escalation. I think is real and uh it may happen if uh if in, in some way uh the russians are losing badly enough that they just decide um that they're going to do something yeah um I, I tend to be to be honest this sounds this will sound uh unfortunately uh uh could could be taken as disloyal, but it's not. It's just an intellectual judgment. I actually think Putin is more careful about these things than uh, than his his counterparts outside. Now that doesn't mean he won't do it. I mean, uh, nor does it mean that he's a nice guy. You know, what what he's done is terrible. This invasion is just terrible and inexcusable. But he does show a great deal of caution in what he does. He made, uh, disregarding the immorality of invading Ukraine, uh, he he made a terrible mistake by not understanding that his army was really not what he thought it was. Neither did we. Mm. We were predicting a few days of a blitzkrieg and then uh, Kiev uh, falling. So, um, uh, it's important, uh, you know, because there's no question in my mind he would have not tried what he did. 
if he understood that his army was that screwed up. But now he's committed. Uh, his level of commitment is his judgment. I, you know, I think it's a terrible thing. I, I think it's really wrong. He's done incredible damage to Russia. And um, at the same time, uh, he uh, uh, he's taking advantage of the greater size and population of Russia to just grind down uh, uh, the Ukrainians. And um, it's, to me, it, it just makes me sick, really sick and, uh, and, and troubled to see all the loss of life. And when I say all the loss of life, I'm not only talking about these poor, innocent Ukrainian soldiers and civilians, but I'm also talking about these poor, innocent Russian soldiers. Sure. You know, these, uh, these young people are put out there to be murdered. They're not well-trained. Yeah. They're not well-armed. You know, it's a, it's a terrible thing to do to your own people. And uh, so, uh, you know, and uh, just yesterday, I think it was, uh, <clears throat> uh, Kamala Harris uh, went on this tirade, and I, she was at a meeting in Europe, about how everybody from the top to the bottom in Russia is, you know, has been complicit in, uh, in these war crimes or the Russian war crimes. Well, there's no doubt that these Russian war crimes are crimes and they're inexcusable. Uh, but, um, you know, there are war crimes that uh, the West has engaged in. And uh, and it, it, it looks a little hypocritical to me and... And more importantly, who cares about me? It looks hypocritical to a large part of the rest of the world when the United States is talking about other people's war crimes when we have been involved in all kinds of uh, inexcusable actions. And uh, so um, the escalation of um, demonizing uh, everyone in Russia, almost, well, all the troops, and is... Um, uh, is a very dangerous thing to be doing, I think. And uh, now there's no, uh, at the same time, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to excuse what the Russians have done. But there's a lot of blame to go around here. The fact of the matter is that the United States, I'll say NATO is led by the United States. All these denials by NATO, <laughs> I mean, it's just funny. I mean, you know, I didn't do it, my brother did it. You know, it's like, you know, it's ridiculous. I mean, and um, uh, the United States calls all the uh, shots, and um, and uh, uh, it, it really uh, twists the arms of all these smaller nations, including smaller nations like Germany and France, to... Uh, knuckle under to the American uh, desire. So, for example, as you probably, I'm sure you know, in 2008, um, NATO made this extraordinarily incendiary uh, uh, this claims that uh, they would were looking forward to uh, um, uh, introducing, you know, bringing NATO, uh, bringing, bringing the NATO alliance to uh, Georgia, Mm -hmm. and Ukraine. And the Russians made it very clear that this was a red line. And um, uh, 
the French and the Germans were against it. And the United States was able to roll over the French and the Germans and get this thing instituted and, 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 and in a final statement, this Bucharest statement by NATO in 2008. And um, six months later, in August, you had a war between Russia and Georgia. And incidentally, in spite of the Mer uh, the, these political people's um, restatements about the facts, the facts are that this guy Saakashvili, who was the president at the time in Georgia, he sent Georgian troops to attack these uh, two enclaves that were uh, trying to uh, uh, become independent, uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia. And those enclaves were being protected by UN peacekeeping forces who happened to be Russian. So why is anyone surprised that the Russians came back at them? Now, uh, I mean, it, I, I, if you were to look at the newspapers, like the New York Times at the time this occurred, they were screaming about Russian aggression. Well, to be sure, the Russians knew about this because they, they have such close ties over such a long time with Georgia. I wouldn't be surprised if... They knew about this decision as soon as it was made. And I'm sure they just waited around and built up their troops to react, you know. So they're not totally innocent. But, uh, you know, uh, who encouraged this kind of behavior? Well, it was NATO. And then when it happened, who denied any responsibility for it? It was NATO. And who still denies any responsibility for it and points to it as if it was just totally the fault of Russia, NATO, so or really the United States. And now a somewhat similar thing has happened. It's more complex in the case of Ukraine, for sure. Um, now there's a war in Ukraine. Well, d didn't you learn anything? Didn't, didn't you get any kind of sense that it was not a good idea to move in this direction over this period of time since 2008. It's like um, there's no no uh, no learning behavior. So whether whether Putin was whether Putin is right or not in his belief that Ukraine, a NATO allied Ukraine poses an existential threat to Russia, whether that's true or not. This is what he believes, and this is what a lot of Russians believe. And uh, I have numerous friends from my time working in Russia, and those people are pre-selected. They wouldn't have anything to do with me if they weren't interested in working with the West. You know, I'm just a trouble. I've met a few people who really don't like Westerners when in my visits to Russia. And let me tell you, there's no question in my mind that the people I'm dealing with are very moderate and outward looking. And uh, uh, they, uh, they all felt that Ukraine was culturally tied to Russia when Ukraine separated, when Ukraine became a separate state. 
they weren't talking aggressively taking it over or anything these people were these people are not interested in military they're not promoters of military conflict but they did state uh and 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 clearly felt that the cultural ties between ukraine and russia were strong and then over these years since um since ukraine became an independent uh, state i guess it was roughly around 1990 uh, the, the west has tried and tried and tried to um <clears throat> to move uh uh ukraine uh into uh, the western uh, um uh, uh western alliance if we call it that now there's no doubt that the western ukrainians have a great affinity for the west and want to be part of it and i think those desires should be respected i, I i'm not uh, opposed to that on the other hand uh having the united states in 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 uh, ukraine pouring billions of dollars of support for all any element that wants to go more western as they did in 2014 during the the maidan mm -hmm. uh um, revolution or uprising, um, uh, that's in a, improper. If there's no doubt that there was uh, an indigenous foundation for for this movement, and that should be respected. But uh, you know, if you have people in Mexico who are anti-American, and the Russians come in and they give them military equipment and large sums of money. There's no doubt in my mind that we would go berserk if that were going on. And uh, there's very little clear evidence of interference in the 2016 election by Russia. I have, I would be very surprised if there wasn't some interference. So I'm not saying that didn't happen, but I have, I have to make a giant step in, in assumptions given, given what's been shown to us. You know, very little that uh, that you can really see, and um, and and even if it were true, which it might well be, it had no effect on the election. Hillary Clinton lost the election because she was an unattractive candidate. That's why she lost the election. She mismanaged her campaign. It's not the fault of the Russians. It's you know, it's her fault. So. Uh, so you have this constant um, uh, looking for a scapegoat that's going on uh, among people who call themselves progressive, and 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 the progressives have gone wild. I mean, I I know why I'm worried about the autocratic reactionaries in the Republican Party. I know why I'm worried about them. They're dangerous and they're anti-democratic and so on but but the anti-democratic behavior of so many uh, people who see themselves as progressive is extraordinary and uh, they're involved in active you know anybody who has a different view or judgment even one that's extremely well based in factual fact-based analysis immediately becomes accused of disinformation so uh, this is what's happening now uh, with, with the Hirsch piece. Mm -hmm. This is a man 
who has been right about every major breakthrough that he has made in his career. Giant, giant, giant breakthroughs. And you have somebody like um, this editor at the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, who I have the unfortunate experience of having to have dealt with. He's raising questions about, um, uh, you know, does does he really know what he's doing? You know, does, of course he knows what he's doing. You know, this completely unaccomplished guy in journalism questioning this giant and 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 empty questions at that. So this is the kind of stuff you're seeing, the complete absence of a response in the Western press to this gigantic insight, perhaps one of the most important insights in his entire career, um, is extraordinary. It really, it really raises questions about the danger of escalation from the inactivity or the, the irresponsible behavior of the Western American press. You know, nobody is raising any questions about this, this, this weather balloon. It's a joke. You know, they're shooting down now, you know, private balloons and, you know, commercial balloons and scientific balloons. And we have, it's very interesting that we have no information of any kind about what they have found with regard to the debris from this weather balloon that the, that the Chinese that, that's very strange. Why would, I mean, I know why you classify things. I was in the Pentagon. I saw a lot of things that I still, even though it was 20 years ago, more than 20 years, it was 40 years ago now, 30. I wouldn't breathe a word of any, some of these things that, that I was aware of. Even now, I just didn't happen as far, you know, I don't know anything about it. And um, so I, I have a, a, you know, I realize that there's a need for secrecy on certain kinds of things. But Secrecy is is a danger to democracy. So you have to be as careful as you can be with classification as you can be. And today, they just classify everything. It's incredible. And they're just classifying what's embarrassing to them. And if you look at actually the classification rules, which nobody follows, they specifically say you cannot classify something because it's an embarrassment to you. But, you know, when the, when the president isn't willing to, to release information to support his claim that a meteorological balloon was being used for spying, well, it's possible that there was something on the balloon. But it's almost zero probability that it was of any consequence in terms of a true intelligence gathering capability. If it was there. If it was there. And... and it's a reason to be very, you know, it's like the dog that didn't bark. You know, this is what's going on here. Why don't we have this data? And um, so uh, it, this is really where we're edging toward an uncontrolled escalation because people are constantly, constantly uh, inventing threats, inventing uh, insults, inventing uh, dangers that don't exist and escalating things. Uh, with potential adversaries, where we have we have real differences. I'm not saying uh, the Russian government is our friend at this point. We've done enough that I can understand why they're no longer our friend. Yeah, you know. But uh, and I, I'm saddened by that because I don't think this had to be the situation. But 
that's the situation. So I don't think we should, you know, ignore the the fact that um, um, Putin is deeply hostile to us. But but I think making it a personal thing, like there's no there are no other Russians who feel the same way. That's ridiculous. I mean that that is a real danger, because there are a lot of Russians who feel that way. And they're not all knuckle-dragging uh, 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 maniacs. There are a lot of reasonable people who have said, you know, we tried and tried and tried and tried with the Americans, and every time we try, they turn around on us and 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 do the opposite of what they claim they're doing. And uh, you can't, you 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 know, you wish people didn't react as strongly, but at the same time. It's hard for me to think that I wouldn't react in a similar way if I were in their position to be, you know, you have to try to put yourself in the other uh, people's uh, shoes. And we're now doing that with the Chinese. I mean, we have an economic competition with China. That doesn't mean we have to have a war with them. This is crazy, escalating this into a military conflict. You already have tense relations with China. And you cancel a potentially useful um, uh, visit of your Secretary of State over a weather balloon, <laughs> which you know. It, so, so this, this may sound like I'm off the mark, but it, it, it's not off the mark. It's it's raising you know the the, the general feeling, the general background of tension and and um, uh, constant distrust of the other's motivations and underlying uh, objectives is what leads to decisions that can escalate very rapidly into a war. And um, it's particularly interesting to me, who has thought a lot about the situations that could lead to a nuclear war. I haven't, you know, uh, some of the things I've, documented we're not are not you know we're not even briefed to the highest level people when they occurred i know for example uh, um i uncovered um through a series of uh, academic work and uh, um uh, the, the the foundations of how a false alarm occurred quite a long time ago now 1995 between russia and where the Russians thought they might be under attack by the United States. And um, it's getting revisited by scholars in several uh, in several disciplines uh, right now. And when, uh, when I happened to have a talk with Bill Perry, who was then Secretary of Defense when this incident occurred, he told me he was never told about it. He knew nothing about it. So um, at the time... Uh, that he was Secretary of Defense, I was briefing uh, people in the Department of Defense about it because they didn't know about it. And um, I uh, I actually went to Russia to tell them what I knew because I didn't want to be put in a position where somebody in Russia could say, you're, you're spying on us. So I... I have to say, I was a little nervous. I, you know, going to Russia and telling them things that I knew that they considered to be a high-level secret. On the other hand, my objective was to 
defuse the situation and see if we could find a way to uh, um, reduce the chances of an accident of this kind in the future. And I got no cooperation at all from the American side, none at all. And uh, so there's a long history from my personal point of view. There's a long history of the Americans every time when I was involved treating the Russians disrespectfully and in, in ways that showed no concern about legitimate Russian concerns, just treating them like dirt. So, and, and I, you know, in the 1990s, I, I had conversations with good friends who were involved with Russia as well. And at the time, we kept shaking our heads saying, this is going to go badly. And now it has, you know, over these years. So, so from my point of view, I've seen the whole history of, of this personally. And now you have this escalating demonization of all Russians, right? These guys in the field, the people responsible in the field are the military commanders. They are responsible for war crimes. There is no question about that. I am absolutely, I have no reservations about saying that. And uh, on the other hand, this the soldier who has no idea what to do, who's ill-trained, who's not disciplined, who is allowed, who wants to go out and shoot people, sometimes like our people did in combat, uh, but has no um, training, no uh, no disciplinary oversight, no, uh, 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 no indoctrination about what you can and cannot do in warfare. Uh, they do it, and that, that doesn't make them uh, it doesn't make it forgivable, but it, you know, it's the, the, the people responsible are the commanding officers who don't control their troops. And that was the, that was the principle behind the Tokyo and Nuremberg trials. And I completely agree with those principles. I have no, no problem at all, except, um, when you let someone like, um, Albert Speer mm -hmm. go, but you execute his subordinate who was basically carrying out his orders. That's a, that's a transgression of justice. Albert Speer was guilty. If his, if his subordinate was, he was, mm -hmm. you know, same with Eichmann, you know? So, so, uh, that's a problem. And I do think the, the Russians, uh, the, the Russian military culture has to be held accountable for that in some way. Well, I don't know if it has to be, but it, it, it should be. That's where the judgment should be. But the troops, they do what they think is okay. They do what they're let, uh, you know, what, what the officers allow them to do. And, uh, but uh, now we have a situation where uh, there's murder, there's there war crimes on both sides from all the information. Like it's very hard to get any information about this from the Western press. But if you look at other press, there's clearly uh, cases of war crimes on the Ukrainian side. Um, does it balance the war crimes, uh, you know, in terms of numbers and and violence? I don't know because I just you can't get any honest attempt to provide all the information. But you know, uh, that's war. War is filled with this. So you have all these experts 
self, uh, you know, particularly those around uh, Biden. And in order to become an accepted expert among these Biden people, who I have dealt with from time to time, you basically have to agree with them. In other words, if you're Ted Postal and you don't think the Russians are evil, uh, you're naive. Hmm. So you're excluded. Hmm. You can't enter the de a debate with them. You can't, you know, uh, you, you, they, they have this, uh, they're not responsible for anything. You know, every time you raise a question about something they did that was clearly stupid, um, they, the, the reaction is, you don't know what you're talking about. It would have happened anyway. So, so you go ahead and uh, you have this Russian reset and the Russians make a good faith effort to show they're serious about it by opening a, an air corridor from Western Europe to Afghanistan. And your response is to introduce a new missile defense system that looks like it's aimed at Russia. This, um, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, Aegis, Aegis uh, system, Aegis naval system, and and the Russians say we're concerned about this, and you and you say to them, as Hillary Clinton did, you have no right to say anything about this. This is our business. You have no rights to say anything here. And every time you try to say, well, if you're really worried about defending Europe from Iranian ballistic missiles, which we don't think is a is a threat. Uh, nuclear armed ballistic missiles, which we don't think is a threat, uh, then uh, let us help. And you, you know, and you have, and the Russians have their own proposals. Did you lose me? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what just. I I haven't was... done anything. No, you didn't do anything. Can you can you see me, Mr. Postal? Can you see me? I can see you. I have no problem. Okay, I don't know what in the world just happened. Uh, you know. lost vision. Visual contact or yeah no I don't I don't know something something messed up we're good though keep talking sorry Hillary. yeah okay yeah sorry so so then you then the Russians come forward with their own proposals to become part of the system and we say no and it's our decision it's not yours and you have nothing to say about this so it's not surprising the Russians get the view that first their voice is not heard and secondly. Um, the uh, this system may be really being aimed at them because it looks like it's being aimed at them. That's the way it looked to me, and I know something about missile defense. <laughs> so, so, um, so, when your reset fails because you mismanaged it, uh, Ms. Secretary uh, Clinton, um, what do you do? You blame it on the Russians. You can't ever depend on the Russians to follow through. Well, I can't find anything that we did, we the Americans, did to show the Russians that we were serious about the reset when they did things that showed they were serious about the reset. Mm. So they had a multi-billion dollar deal to sell S-300 and S-400 air defense systems to Iran. We didn't like that because we always want the option to go in and beat up the Iranians with our aircraft. And those systems are capable enough that we can't ignore them. So we wanted the Russians, we were lobbying the Russians before this reset to not, to not 
follow through with the deal. It was a it was a deal. They had signed the contract already. And Putin decided to, to stop the contract. And this caused incredible backlash among the in the Iranian government against Russia. What did he get for it? The American missile defense and accusations that he's not cooperating. So so this idea that Putin is responsible for everything Yes, he's a nasty guy. Uh, yes, he made a decision that was immoral to go in to Ukraine. No question about it. But who put him in a position where he was contemplating this kind of uh, of behavior? You know, and it and turning it into his problem that you know if he disappears, it's not going to be a problem anymore. Is is the ultimate in in in, in 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 self-deception you know if putin were to come disappear we're not i don't know why everyone um, all these people think it's going to be a more moderate government replacing him i it may be it may be but i'll i'll give you odds that it's less moderate rather than more moderate so um I don't know, and nobody knows, but this is the kind of uh, foreign policy that um, uh, shows no understanding of what these people, no strategic vision of any kind. So they, so Pamela Harris says the other day, she says, well, we don't like that the Russians are getting cozying up with China. Well, why, <laughs> why wouldn't they? You just did everything... You did everything you could possibly do to show them that it's a good idea to cozy up to China. You don't like it. Behave differently. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so uh, so this is why I am very concerned about the potential escalation to a nuclear exchange. And then you get the experts again. I keep going back to the because I never get to the point I had in mind when no, I started. Yeah, keep going. No, it's great. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, the... Oh, all these characters, they're experts on nuclear, you know, nuclear war and the dangers of nuclear war. You know, they're all these, uh, they got a PhD in a political science uh, uh, academic environment. They have no experience in, in, in looking at the, the world, uh, you know, from inside a government or, and uh, so, so they say, oh, well, you know, how would a nuclear war start? You know, oh, the Russians might try to show their resolve by exploding a nuclear weapon over the Black Sea, you know my joke used to be uh, when with the United when I was in the Pentagon, I'd say, "Oh yeah, we're we're going to show the Russians we're resolved by exploding a nuclear weapon over Kwajalein. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my joke. Yeah, that really uh, worked. Yeah. So, uh, well, let, let, I have no idea. I, I don't think it's knowable what could could lead to the use of first nuclear weapons but let me give you a, a scenario that, that that i've been thinking about recently in six months you're going to have all kinds of german leopard tanks going up against russian tanks in ukraine a place where the nazi invasion caused the biggest loss in modern history military loss in modern history where where the battle for kiev resulted in the surrounding of 600,000 men, men in arms, uh, in the invasion 
um, in Operation Barbarossa. When that's the biggest encirclement in the history of warfare. Almost all of those people were dead because when they surrendered, they died in these extraordinary murder camps. I don't know what else to call them. You can call them murder camps set up by, you know, because they were Slavic and, you know, this, this horrifying um, racist uh, attitude of the Nazis. And uh, that's the place that was, that occurred what? Um, in the 1941 or so, or 40, 41. And uh, people, remember that that's not you know it's far back but it's enough back that you know people have family they lost in this you know grandparents and and it's a big part of russian culture you you talk to a russian and you talk about the great patriotic war everybody lights up this is part of it's embedded in Russian culture and the government's way of trying to keep people patriotic. Maybe it should or shouldn't, but World War II is still pretty big with us today. Mm-hmm. And we only lost a few hundred thousand people. They lost tens of millions of people. And um, and you have those Russian uh, uh, tanks being taken apart by uh, those leopard tanks. Um, that's where I would if I were Putin, I'd put a nuclear weapon. Find a concentration of leopard tanks and just put one or two on them and just say, this is all I'm doing. I just want you to know this is all I'm doing, but let's stop this. And uh, that's my scenario. Now, it's not a scenario. I, I, I'm just, you know, this is a wild, wild, sure. wild guess. But the point is that I think if Putin's going to use nuclear weapons, he's going to try to find something that's symbolic Mm. and potentially of military use. Mm. And it's not the end of the world if nobody reacts to it. If. I mean, it, it, but but it is the end of the world if it's, it's, the, if it's the beginning of a, a ladder of escalation. But, you know, when you want to talk about paths to escalation, there's one that the geniuses around uh, 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 Mr. Biden ought to be thinking about. And I don't see any thought from these people at all. It's just like A, then B, B, then C. It was just like the discussion during the Cold War. Oh, the Russians will sweep across Europe. Well, we know that the Russian army, after a big buildup, couldn't even sweep into Ukraine, yet alone sweep across Europe. Yeah. You hear this argument, oh, if we let Putin get away with this, um, Think of what he's going to try to do in the future in the in in the in the uh, you know in in the Baltics. Well, if there's anything you can say about Vladimir Putin is he's not stupid. He did make the mistake of his life trying to go into Ukraine. No question about it, because he thought he had an army he didn't have. But he now knows he doesn't have an army, and anyone who thinks he's that stupid that he's going to attack NATO directly, is a fool. But people are so used to saying that, you know, without thinking, because all of this discussion is without thought or analysis. So they say, well, you know, uh, you know, what's he going to do next? It's the same. The argument has no, no intellectual uh, integrity behind it. And that's what you hear all over the place still, even now. Oh, if he uses nuclear weapons, 
in, in Ukraine. Well, we'll really escalate. We'll really show them we mean business. We're going to introduce American forces. Right. You want to guarantee that nuclear weapons are going to be used again if you introduce nuclear? I mean, it's like, what are you talking about? If the Russians or if, if the Russians generally believe that this war is a war for their survival as a nation, whether or not it's true, if they believe it, you're going to put American forces into Ukraine after they've already gone to the point of using nuclear weapons against something? You ask yourself, what is going? You know, what are these so-called experts about? You know, this does not even. Um, if you were talking to somebody in a, a casual street conversation about something like your brother going in, punching the linebacker in the nose, you'd all know that it's a stupid thing to escalate this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but these guys talk about escalate. Oh, I go over there and I just punch him in the nose myself too. <laughs> You know, use common sense. So, so there's no, uh, no, no indication of of thought among these people, and Biden has surrounded himself with these kinds of people, and it doesn't look like to me he's standing up to them. And of course, it's it's ultimately his responsibility. I. I, on a personal level, think Biden is a very decent man. Sure, I like him. Uh, you know, I actually do like him as a person. I, um, I, I happen to pretty much agree with his domestic politics. I think sure. he's heroically trying to help stabilize the domestic situation. I have no, you know, I support him fully on that. But when I look at his foreign policy, I should say, how could he allow himself to be sucked in? by these people around him. And and that's what we're facing. So, yes, I, I believe that the danger of a mistake leading to an escalation is very high. And I think it's more on the Western side than it is on the Russian side. And, um, and I hope that nothing happens. I just keep crossing my fingers and toes that nothing will happen. So that's... <laughs> I can feel my heart rate increasing as this episode goes on. I'm just well, you know. And I it's a, as my wife says, it's a she. You know, since I know a lot about how nuclear weapons are used, and I actually was involved in targeting nuclear weapons when I was in the Pentagon. Uh, she said to she says to me, "Well, the one thing I want is uh, is uh, to make sure I go fast." She says, yeah. and I says, "Don't worry, we're right near Moffett Air Force Base here." Moffett Naval Base here, and uh, and in 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 uh, Boston we have a second home, and we're right in the middle of the Boston Navy Yard. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then we're 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 golden. We're not going to even notice it. It's yeah, we're a, we're going to just be evaporated. Hypo center. Uh, that's where you want to be. Yeah, maybe right, I should right. maybe I should get out of Maine. Maybe I need to go. <laughs> I need to go get a one bedroom apartment across the street from the White House. I'll just <laughs> right. I'll, be, I'll be good. Go right. You go right, right, right. there. But you know, Ooh. it's it's a very dangerous situation, and yeah. frankly, I think uh, Putin may be the more stable in this particular sense than than uh, than than the Western leadership. Not to say that he isn't dangerous; sure. he's very dangerous. I think he could use nuclear weapons. When he says, "I'm not bluffing," 
Yeah. I don't see that. I don't dismiss this as, as a bluff. Yeah, you don't want to call a bluff on him saying I'm not bluffing. This is, this isn't slapping yeah. each other or like now, he won't do anything overtly suicidal. Yeah. Is what my I believe. In other words, if he did what I this wild postulated situation because yeah. there's no way of knowing what could be done. I'm quite sure I would expect him to make it very clear that this is what we're doing and no more. In other words provide a path for the West to back down because I think he's not totally crazy, but uh, would the West know how to handle it? Mm. Can send American troops and, you know, it's just, and, you know, he does, you know, he does have a nuclear option. And, you know, if you look at North Korea, you know, we would, you know, we, we hold these exercises, um, you know, uh, every year, on you know right across the border from North Korea there's no doubt there is no doubt at all n not even a smidgen of doubt that if we had a conventional war not we even if South Korea had a conventional war with North Korea <laughs> they could defeat them hands down when you look at the military capacity of South Korea and you look at the military capacity of North Korea and the equipment they have and the no doubt that this would be uh, no war is a cakewalk, but it would be a massacre, uh, you know, of. But it doesn't matter because North Korea has nuclear weapons. You know, no one is going to test them in this way. So why are you doing these gigantic overkill operations with B-1 bombers and F-35s and ships of, you know, the uh, Pacific fleet and stuff just to piss off and cause a reaction of Kim Jong-un. We know he, I mean, anybody who looks at the, his, the, his, the history of these attempts to negotiate with North Korea knows that this is unproductive. This gets the wrong reaction. And yet we can continue doing it. You know, and the North Koreans, you know, when, when things were going a little bit along, like in 1984, and uh, the North Koreans do something stupid, so we just cancel everything. You don't try to see what you can recover. You don't try to see what additional diplomacy you can use to recover the, the stupid, you know, the, the, the wrong, the, the bad judgment of the North Koreans. You just okay, we're going to go, you know, to the wall on this. We're going to just really uh, punish you. Well, uh, now you have a North Korea that's got thermonuclear weapons and ICBMs. And let me tell you, I've done a lot of work on the ICBM program in North Korea. I've done a lot of analysis of their systems. Those guys could deliver a nuclear warhead. Uh, they could deliver several multi-hundred kiloton nuclear warheads to Washington, D.C., with this Wasong 17 missile. That missile is a full scale, uh, no nonsense, ICBM. And all these little statements, oh, it's hard to re enter. If you look at the technology, it's just one monkey repeating what another monkey says. If you look at the technology of re entry vehicles, not a problem. You know, and you can't get anyone in the American government 
to, to think about this. So, for example, I have a, a, a concept I've been working on with a friend of mine, uh, Richard Garwin, who's a very, very, very distinguished uh, American scientist. Uh, and we put together a, a, a defense concept. Uh, we call it the Airborne Patrol. The idea is very simple in principle, but the question is, does the technology exist to do it? And it, it turns out the technology does exist to do it. And the idea is you carry very fast interceptors. They weigh maybe uh, between 500 and 1,000 pounds, depending on details of the final system design. And the, the uncertainty is very large until we get a full design concept. And these interceptors uh, fly outside the atmosphere. You launch them from under the wing uh, of of a high-flying drone, a drone that's flying at 50,000 feet. And if you're sitting over the Sea of Japan, it turns out that you can destroy a liquid-propellant North Korean ICBM before it completes powered flight and deploys decoys, mm -hmm. because our current that's system a, can't yeah. deal with decoys. It can't even deal with warheads, yet alone warheads and decoys. Yeah. So this system works. Now, it's got a problem that's quite serious. The interceptors can't reach, can't intercept shorter range ballistic missiles that could be used to attack Japan and, and South Korea because uh, it, it, the interceptor can't reach it in the short time of their powered flight. On the other hand, um, when I've talked to people inside of South Korea and Japan, specialists, they agree that this system could potentially be of great value because the Japanese and South Koreans have grave doubts about whether the United States would stand behind them in a crisis with North Korea where they were threatening nuclear attack against the United States. So the system is kind of a peculiar second-tier defense. That is to say, it protects the United States so that the United States can then stand behind South Korea and Japan. I can't get anybody in the U.S. government to even talk about this. They're all threatening North Korea with military exercises that just infuriate the North Koreans, that they're going to lead to more large missile tests by North Korea in response, because the North Koreans do this in response, maybe leads to even more nuclear weapons tests, maybe even higher yield weapons weapons that have been t also designed to be carried on an ICBM. And, 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 and they're not even interested in exploring, studying the possibility of this kind of defense. This is what our defense establishment looks like today. It's just a bunch of punks who, who, who just talk to each other and, and, and exclude anybody who has the smallest difference of view from them. And, and just tell every, you know, anybody who differs from them is naive and ignorant. Well, I got news for them. They're the ones who are naive and ignorant. And unfortunately, and I, this is, a, like I said, I like President Biden personally. Uh, Biden has failed himself, himself and the country badly by allowing these characters to uh, to push him into doing some of the things he's now doing. This Nord Stream pipeline thing is an act of war. Yeah. And he did he did as much damage 
to our ally, Germany, as he did to Russia. That's not minor. Who needs an ally who does as much damage to you as they do to the adversary? So, so this is what we're looking at today. So, accidental nuclear war? Sure. It's a real possibility. It almost makes you, and I don't really believe this, but just on the threat of wild speculation, it almost makes you think if there's some form of a of an SDI or a Star Wars program, and and I personally don't believe this, but just as a, yeah, go ahead. as a as a as a thought exercise, our seeming uh, seeming recklessness and cockiness begs the question: Is it is it there's is there something that has greatly increased the survivability of of nuclear first strikes, which is terrible because anything that that throws off the uh the the balance of power in nuclear war is ultimately leads to more chaotic that's why we got rid of the abms and you know the 60s and 70s is because they made yeah. nuclear war more palatable but but your statement is more real and profound than i think even you are judging it to be because if you listen very carefully to putin you know that you see him interviewed multiple times and you really you don't spend your time trying to twist every statement he makes into indications of what a demon he is but instead just put your you know take it at face value and try to look at the reasoning behind what he's saying which may or may not you may or may not agree with you will see him make statements as i've watched this very carefully because i'm very interested in what he might might or might not be thinking he will make statements about being concerned, he doesn't say it quite this explicitly, but it's very clear when you when you uh, deconstruct what he's saying, that he has grave concerns that political leadership on the Western side, in particular the United States, might think that they could attack Russia and get away with it. Yeah. That's a big concern he has, that, that an American president will be misinformed enough he doesn't think that's that they can get away with it, but he's concerned that the other side could be misinformed enough to think they can get away with it. Yes, and because of that, that's part of the reason he has done things like uh, introduce some of these new weapons, so that even a moron could tell that you're not going to escape retribution. So, for example, this undersea yeah, the Poseidon robot. Yeah, the 200 megaton tsunami. Bomb. Right. Right. Torpedo. So he, 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 you know, he spent his time talking about this intentionally because he wants even a moron to understand that a missile defense is not going to deal with that. Yeah. That's so. So he clearly is concerned about how much political leadership on the other side understands. I mean, sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, which could, which probably makes him a little bit more cautious. Which is good, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's um, right. That's it's Reagan and Gorbachev at Reykjavik. Like, yeah. No, we just want a shield. We want a nuclear shield. Reagan would say it's like a ma think of it like a gas mask. And Gorbachev was like, I, I know what you're saying, but if you're now wearing the gas mask, you're gonna start acting real cocky, and I want you to know I have other weapons than just gas. Is it essentially right, right. the analogy they were saying is it's it's me it's me telling you know it's me looking at my little brother and being like hey don't worry I'm wearing a bulletproof vest 
and, and then someone else is looking at it, the linebacker going, the linebacker's wearing a suicide bomb. Your vest isn't going to do anything. Our own misattribution of our strengths. We have satellite-based weapons. Putin's going, forget Poseidon. I'll just, I'll just put one on a cargo ship. I'll just go drive yeah. that into a port. Well, he can he can drive a lot of them into the port with this uh, Poseidon weapon. Yeah, destroy every port on the Pacific, and and, and that's a you know a, it's an enormous a part of the U.S. population and industrial base. Yeah. So, but you know the 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 thing the thing that um, uh, I, I lost my thought. Poseidon SDI. Sorry, no, no. Uh, I've had some personal experiences that um, have served me well in, you know, in in causing me to think about these things. And just to give you a sense, I was in the Pentagon when, uh, and I was an advisor to the Chief of Naval Operations when uh, Ronald Reagan gave his Star Wars speech on March four. Uh, what's it, uh, 1984, was it? Yeah, I think uh, 1983, maybe. The, the Star Wars speech. Mm -hmm. March 4, I remember. Must have been 83. And um, I came into the Pentagon the next day, and I was I would watch his speeches. My wife would hate it, but uh, say, look, he's the president. I'm working on <laughs> national security. He's my CEO, and, yeah. Yeah, so... So I came into the Pentagon the next day, and then there was this uh, Navy captain uh, jumping around and bragging about how he convinced the chief of naval operations uh, to uh, go ahead with the Star Wars, that he played a role in the Star Wars speech. And he was talking about, we're going to defend lives. He, he was bragging about the the, uh, the statement that was running around the Pentagon all of a sudden that he supposedly invented. We're going to defend lives, not avenge them. And uh, I confronted him to, to a shocked group of uh, lower-level officers because I, I was a civilian. It didn't matter to me who, who he was. And um, he couldn't answer me, but... The result of that confrontation was I put together a briefing for the chief of naval operations because everyone was talking about how these we were both going to have these defenses. At that time, they were not talking about um, what started it was this X-ray laser idea that was crazy. But what people were talking about was putting these giant um, uh, laser battle stations in orbit. Yeah, and they would have um, they would you know they would be uh, chemically driven so you, you have uh, hydrogen fluoride or deuterium fluoride uh, driven lasers and and you would set up a beam that you know and you destroy rockets from great range of course they weren't nearly bright enough to be able to do this it was it was all science fiction yeah but that science fiction became the baseline for people running around and thinking they were doing something so uh, I um, I was aware the chief of naval operations had gone to the president and advocated for the strategic defense initiative. I, I wasn't told about it before it happened. That's one of the reasons I was so angry at this guy. He was involved, and he didn't bring me into the process because I would have explained to the chief what a bad idea this was and why. 
not because I'm trying to tell him why I would have given him a briefing of the kind I gave him later. So what did I do in this briefing? I said, well, the idea is we're going to have a stable standoff. So we're saying the Russians are going to have this system and we're going to have this system, right? We're going to, we're going to have these two orbiting systems, which are tremendously powerful and able to destroy um, um, adversary the adversaries' ICBMs from millions of meters, thousands of kilometers range while they're in space. So I said, well, if these systems are so powerful, they're in space, and since they're co-orbiting, they're very close to each other. So one side could, in theory, just using this model that people have put together, shoot first at the other's yeah. missile defense components, destroy them, and then you're in charge, if you believe that this is possible. I was very careful to say this is not this is science fiction at this time, but let's just look at the logic of what people are now saying. And this guy, who clearly had been taken in by this argument, this chief, um, um, he uh, he, um, he he was just totally shocked. He hadn't even thought about this. So. The shallowness, for me, the personal experience of seeing the shallowness of the top decision makers in the country with regard to this matter had a tremendous impact on my view of the world to this day. You know, it's, you know, and I went to m multiple briefings, listened while this chief went to these briefings, and listened to more and more and more nonsense, all generated by these various assistant secretaries of atomic energy and things like that, to the chief advocating these things. And I could see him sinking because he hadn't thought, you know, he ran to the president with the nonsense that this naval officer had given him told him, because he was concerned about the arms race. And he did the stupidest thing you could possibly do. Go to your boss with an idea that was not just wrong, but was tremendously negative and damaging. And, you know, he never owned up to it, you know. So, so, so seeing this chaos, so when I had gone to the Pentagon, I... I knew that I would see a lot of things that I disagreed with because I wasn't uh I wasn't the cold warrior. I uh, I I was afraid of the Russians because you know any any country that can go out and murder tens of millions of its own people is not somebody yeah you know yeah. You, you take lightly. So I wasn't that I was I didn't think that there wasn't a problem. But I didn't think it, you know that I didn't think that they ate their children and stuff like, you know, there's this cold warrior nonsense. And, um, and so I thought that I would see a lot of things I disagreed with, but, you know, were responsible. You know, you could have a, an honest discussion about, you know, whether things were as claimed or not, and, you know, reach a consensus about that was reasonable. But what I saw when that Star Wars thing happened, right up at the top, 
at the secretary levels and at the secretary of defense level, Weinberger at the time, mm-hmm. I said to myself, these people are capable of anything, these people in these leadership roles. And um, that has stayed with me. And I don't think it was because it was Ronald Reagan and those people he had around him. I'm worried about Biden and the people he has around him. Because these guys are, they're in, a friend of mine calls it the boofosphere. They, they, just, they just, you know, he, he, says, he says they make these loud boof, 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 you know, like they're profound. <laughs> yes. It's an inside joke, you know. But uh, these they're all talking to me, and it's a closed system because anybody who has a alternative is naive views or arguments or information gets just smeared as naive and unsophisticated when in fact the these the unsophisticated people are these people themselves so they, they it's a very dangerous situation it's it's extraordinarily dangerous i mean it's kind of symbolic i mean it starts with banning people on twitter or youtube ban yeah. those who ban those who disagree it very quickly yeah. goes all the way up to, hey, just ban anybody that says nuclear a first strike is a bad I, idea. I've been essentially banned from the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. I published, for, for four decades, I published numerous articles, numerous articles that were featured on the front cover because of their the significance they were viewed to, to have had, okay? These were, you know, in, in the eyes of the editors of the Bulletin, these were... Uh, gigantic insights and in fact relative to a lot of the stuff they published they were and i just been banned by them because they don't like my stuff now you just yeah so what can you do i you know in a strange way i said this to to sigh actually uh, i i found it this very disturbing the way the national press dealt with his uh, his brilliant journalism. But at the same time, I felt a little relieved because I feel like I've been closed out of so many things that to have somebody as good as Sai is yeah. and writing stuff as widely important. I mean, you know, I'm a nuclear specialist. I mean, he's he's talking about the fundamental issues in, in our nation's uh, security. To see they, what they do do to him, you know, it says to me, uh, we're really in trouble. We are really in trouble. Yeah, it kind of makes you feel less crazy when you see someone else get... Yeah, uh, when I, I do yeah, that to someone. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been pushed from YouTube, Reddit, iTunes. I just got back on Twitter, but... Yeah, I've been banned yeah. from a ton of, but then you start to feel better when you see other people banned, but then you look at the big picture and go, this is not good. Yeah, I mean... This is that none of this has really, uh, none of this has really, uh, reassured me. And I think on what you were saying about those two space stations, I think the Russians actually did it. One of their, uh, space stations, one of their orbiting labs, I think it was called Salyut, S A. Soyuz. No, not the Soyuz. Not the Soyuz. I think it was Salyut, S A L Y U T dash 22. They actually put an AA gun on one of them. They actually put a what? An AA gun, like an anti aircraft gun. It was declassified after the Cold War. So they had a satellite, a manned satellite, with just a, you know, like a mounted machine gun. And it was in case the Americans got close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, 
it's uh, it wouldn't help them much because the way the Americans would attack it wouldn't s- stop them. But <laughs> but, it's, but it goes forever. It's just the, the, the arms. Yeah, it's are just uh, eternal. One... Yeah, but putting even if they do that, uh, it it's a statement, and the statement raises the level of tension. Yeah. You know that's the problem. You know when you go out uh, in the street and you're carrying something that looks like a shotgun, it doesn't matter whether it's actually a shotgun or not. Yeah. People react to it, and people, you know, maybe someone else goes and gets gets a real gun, or yeah. You know, the 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 this is not, uh, you know, this is not a couple of kids in kindergarten, uh, you know, throwing mud at each other. This is serious. And how you deal with these problems. As a as a national leader, matters a great deal, and that's why I'm so concerned about the way the Biden administration has been handling things. So the Russians are doing what I pretty much expect them to do. I don't think it's good. I don't support it, but it's pretty much what I expect them to do. Yeah. Well, I'm only 32, but this episode was not good for my heart health. No, no, it's a, well, you got a lot of life to live, and I hope you live it and enjoy it. Well, me, me too. I mean, short of, <laughs> short of an ICBM coming down, I think I got a while left. But yeah, it, uh, well, I I hope cooler heads will prevail. I think that the fear of a general escalation is going to be so great that it's not going to happen trivially. Probably not going to happen trivially, but everything that I've experienced indicates to me that anything is possible. That's the bottom line. Anything is possible. And then it's because you're dealing with humans. They're imperfect. But then there's also the anything is possible, including good. I mean, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, Bobby Kennedy, you know, bringing messages to some you know, whatever building and them using a private courier on a bicycle and Khrushchev and, and Kennedy talking, you know, on back lines and completely going around Curtis LeMay and it worked. So it's like, yeah, the, you know, anything is possible, including good. And if you initiated the experiment 10 times, the question is, would it have worked ten times or one time or? Hey, it worked once, so we're still here. So it's. Uh... No, no. I think the important thing is it works. Yeah, it, that works. The problem at all. is if it doesn't work, there's only one. <laughs> there's only one outcome where it doesn't work that leads to uh, annihilation. So That's I, the problem. I need to go move to downtown Manhattan. <laughs> That's where I need to go. It's just right. Yeah. I need to go do this podcast in the West well. Wing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And that's that's how I know I'll be good. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I, I'm hopeful. I, I am hopeful that people are so afraid of these weapons that uh, it's not it's not truly a statistical situation. Yeah. Because the bias against using them, uh, I have a discussion that's going on with a friend of mine who's a mathematician, and he keeps asking me, uh, can you give me a probability of per day or per year that you think a nuclear war could occur and i say you know it's it's just not possible it's there's no underlying it's not as if it's 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 what you would call uh an underlying statistical stable statistical uh set of variables that are uh uh that allow you to 
assign a probability per unit time, you know, there are going to be fluctuations in whatever those variables are. And sometimes it's going to be much more likely and sometimes much less, you know, it's just a, but uh, so I don't know how to characterize it as a, a probability distribution, but hopefully there's a factor in there that reduces it greatly. And I think that factor is that everybody I've ever encountered who has any decision-making role of any kind that could be involved in the use of nuclear weapons is so scared to death that they would have to make a decision that you could you could see they would do everything they possibly can to not use these weapons. And you hope that doesn't mean that will stop them, but 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 you hope that that is what explains how we got through the Cold War. Because if the Cold War were a purely average statistical situation, no, uh, would we, we wouldn't have made it through. I mean, I would, that's the calculation I would have done. I'd say no, no way. But every time, you know, mm-hmm. Khrushchev and and uh, and um, Kennedy uh, looked into the abyss and they backed away. That Soviet sailor on the submarine that came up during the Cuban Missile Crisis and yeah. told his men to turn down. There was another one yeah. where like the zeros in some war game tape in NORAD were somehow replaced by twos and they thought that 2,222 ICBMs were inbound. And then like yeah. the, the head guy was like, hold on, isn't Khrushchev like at the UN? Yeah. Like, yeah. And he was like, hold on. And just that, well, that basic, you go, Let's everybody chill. When we've but if if that kind of thing happens at a time where we're fighting, or maybe nuclear weapons have been used at a yeah, low level somewhere already, yeah. Uh, so the external conditions matter a lot. So it's not it, it, it's 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 not a stable uh, probabilistic environment, and uh, it's you know, and the probability of all these things coalescing is very small, but it's not zero. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm just going to make sure I have like a couple gallons of whiskey. If you like it, if you like whiskey, I won't care. I'll just want something to, I'll just go sit on the back yeah. porch, put on some bathing, bathing shorts, some suntan shorts and just wait for the flash. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Dr. Postal, this was terrifying but awesome. Um, <laughs> I hope. I, I appreciate your time. I'll uh, I'll send you the link to this right afterwards. And uh, I'd appreciate that. That's, yeah, thank you. I'd love to get you back on here, and uh, scare the the wits out of me and my. Well, listeners. you know, I'm not expert like these other people, so I don't generally get asked. Nobody's. In, nobody's. In. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'll have. Hey, I'll have on the guys that if they say they're naive, I'm like, well, then that's the guy I want to talk to because that's yeah, you're right. outside of the. Well, well, the bubble. Uh, I'd be happy to be on with one of these other people who thinks they're so expert. Yeah, have a debate. If you can arrange that, that'd be fine. Hey, you you tell me. You can email me. Tell me who you want to debate. I'll do my best to. I've oh, I've got an okay reach for my podcast. I've gotten in touch with some okay. guests that I have no business talking to. So I might yeah. be able to. Who knows? All right. Putin hasn't Sounds responded good. to my email. So he hasn't responded. I actually did email him. I I did before the war. So I don't think he's going to yeah. do it now. But, yeah. You know. 
you know, I'll, I'll get it. No, he's not going to, he's going to, he's going to focus I think he's on busy with something. Yeah. He's busy. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. Well, Dr. Postal, thank you so much, sir. I'll email you this. Uh, we'll schedule another one and, uh, thank you for your time. And, uh, I might have a I might have a, a drink tonight. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm uh, I, I hope uh, don't take me too seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, I try not to take I try not to take me too seriously. Yeah. Hey, well, and you I know, can tell you, my wife doesn't take me seriously at all. Hey, whatever happens, whatever <laughs> happens, happens. That's kind of how I'm looking. It's at it. it's beyond our control. It's, all we can do is try to do what our what we can. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm uh, 77 now, so uh, I'll be 77 in April. And, uh, you know, I'm reaching a time where uh, a 10-year horizon means something to me. You know, sure. when, I, when you're 30, a 10-year horizon doesn't mean anything. And uh, uh, and uh, I'm very concerned about the future. And uh, I'm also very aware that uh, possibilities for me communicating my concerns are diminishing all the time, at least at the moment. And uh, I've just resolved that I'm just going to do what I can to alert people as best I can to the issues. Yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to get, I, I have to say, I've gone through some periods of depression about all this, but sure. I, I, I'm just not going to let it uh, ruin, uh, you know, the last years of my life. It's just not gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm going to do what I think is responsible so that I feel like I'm being responsible to the generations that, uh, I hope to help, uh, that are behind me and, uh, or ahead of me, depending on how you look at it. And, uh, and that's it. I, I, I'm not going to get myself sick over this. When I was, Right after my my older brother took his life in 2014, I eventually had the realization that I couldn't let this, after a couple of years of despair, I realized that I couldn't let it rob me the rest of my life. And I found a a song, I think it's from the 90s, it's called Steal My Sunshine. And it's just, it's very upbeat, and it's about not letting anything steal your sunshine. And in the the worst days of my life, I would turn that on and just be like, you know what? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to say what I think is right, um... but I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy my dinner tonight. I'm gonna enjoy a hot shower. Yeah. I'm gonna go, I'm not gonna let it steal my sunshine. I think that's uh, you're doing the right thing for yourself and for other people because you're more able to help them too. Yes, sir. So I come from a very troubled family background myself. So, uh, so I have great sympathy uh, for Thank your situation. You, it's so, you know, but not gonna steal my sunshine. I'm gonna enjoy. Well, it. you do you you do what you can when you can. Yes, that's it. And things that are beyond your control. They're beyond your control. There's no point in. You can be aware of them. You can try to do what you can when you can, and that's it. It's like what Alan Watts said. He said, "Worrying about things that are out of your control is like chewing bubble gum to solve an algebra problem. It does nothing." <laughs> well, <laughs> chewing bubble gum could help you. It might relax you. So, well, there you go. Well, you <laughs> chew some bubble gum. Don't let it steal your sunshine. Whatever happens, happens. Right, right. Doctor right. Postal, we got to wrap this one up because I got another one in a couple minutes. Thank you so much for your time, sir. I'll Thank you very you much. I, yes, I, I, I very much enjoy working with you. I, I love talking to you, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's terrifying, but it's enlightening. So Okay, well, thank th- you. Don't be terrified. Just, <laughs> just okay. learn. Okay. Thank you <laughs> okay. so much. Take care, everybody. Recording thank you for watching. Stopped. Have a good one.